0: Local podcast on locally-incubated global technology powerhouses.
1: We started working with Skyscanner in 2011. I think at the time there were 70 people. By 2014, when they acquired us, they were 400. I think one of the things that struck us with Skyscanner and influenced us a lot is the way they treated people and partners. So when we've been working with Skyscanner, we never felt as an external party who they are shielding uh, any information, but who are actually part of the team, the respect they had for colleagues, the way they've been building business on honesty. It was all a huge positive. This
0: story is a good example of how one company can grow big off of a single client and even get acquired by that client eventually. Balut started Team Distinction right out of college in Hungary. After facing bankruptcy three times, they persevered and reached great success. In this episode, he also describes how VCs approached them a decade ago and the differences between Hungary and Silicon Valley. This is the second episode after Peter where Martin will act as the host. Let's see how it goes.
2: Very nice to have you on the podcast. So first, uh, I think maybe let's start with your personal background and the story of distinction. Uh, it seems that you actually started this company right after university, and uh, you know, the question is why did you actually start the entrepreneurial path instead of working for, let's say, a large IT
1: company or some other company? First of all, thank you for having me. So our story with distinction is, I think, a little bit different than the ordinary. Uh, we were looking around 2008 uh, when we were at university. We had a few friends. we have been doing freelance projects. Our main goal with this freelance project was simply to earn enough money so we can pay our beers at the parties. Uh, so the quite typical motivation. And uh, we were competing in a tech competition where we won uh, a trip to Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley in 2008 was very different. but. It did put a big impression on us. And, and when we came home, uh, we suddenly started looking at the norms, which were at the time of you know, going to places where people wear suits and you know, being the IT guy uh, who has uh, nothing to say, and their work isn't uh, particularly valued. Uh, suddenly we saw that maybe things can be different. And we decided, why don't we try something different? And why don't we try to make a company where our goal is to build work class products with a world-class team uh, and give it a shot? So that was the, the origin story. We did this parallel to university. Naturally, freelance projects got bigger, so we got more revenue. I think in 2009, we we rented an office, hired a few people, uh, and then things suddenly started flowing. So our main motivation was really to to do something of higher value, of higher quality, work the way we want it to do, uh, and establish our own baselines uh, and standards of uh, what we believe is the right thing to do.
2: Okay, interesting. So how did it evolve sort of from being, you know, a three-person team uh, to, to being a 30 person team or 30 something person team. How was the marketing channels and, and sales channels? What were these
1: and then how did it work? So from the size perspective, I think there are two distinct stages in the first kind of two two and a half years It was six of us and it remained six of us. We almost went bankrupt three times We were, really were struggling uh, to get a food And then what changed was the introduction of mobile platforms. We were one of the first developers on Windows Phone. And as Windows Phone started picking up, we we could organically fund our growth. And we entered into a a little bit of hyper growth phase. So in in two years, we went from seven to over 30 people, uh, which was quite a big of growth. And I think what supported us that we had a really strong core team who've been working together. When we're looking at sales and marketing, uh, we didn't really do any of those. So what we did is we were, kind of a company where we always wanted to do our own products. But since we didn't have venture funding, what we did is we went out to the market and offered our services in exchange uh, for money. And what happened is, as we parallel built our own products, at the time, the app stores were relatively small. There were very few high-quality apps. And people started noticing that hmm, these guys are making good apps. Let's reach out to them, because I also want to make a good app. And very large partners. So at the end, we had three large partners. It was Nokia, Skyscanner, and Red Bull International. And they all found this through one of our apps in the App Store. So what we had to do was when inbound requests came, we had to execute on those. Uh, But we didn't really have to understand how sales and others work. I'd say what was more challenging is evolving as a leader and manager from engineer rather than uh, looking at sales or marketing.
2: Okay. What was your initial role in the company and how did it change over the years?
1: We started the company as three co-founders and we said let's do an equal split of 33% uh, because we all should have the same skin in the game. And at the beginning, I was mainly responsible for the front-end and design aspects, and the other two guys were more back-end-focused engineers. And we didn't really agree on everything. Uh, What happened is, as we started to grow, as day-to-day operations started to kick in, there were always tasks, and somebody jumped on those tasks. Essentially, it wasn't a defined distribution. We just started doing things. And over time, we started thinking of, hmm, the kind of tasks I'm doing, uh, much more external-facing communication. uh, I was more comfortable with conflict. So, so taking more uh, rougher feedback, uh, deciding on critical items uh, naturally popped on my desk. So we just said over time, hey, Bon, you should be CEO. Uh, my other co-founder, Akos, started to make technical decisions and, and overseeing much of cross-teams and cross-people or technical infrastructure, so he became our CTO. But apart from this, for instance, he was also what you would call a CFO or CEO because he was overseeing all the finance and operational and legal aspects of the business. So it was really organic. Of We just started out, and naturally, as of our desires or competencies, we started picking up whatever was on the table, and that's how we evolved to the distribution of roles. It sounds like a very, uh, you know, sort of organic distribution. Yeah, it was completely organic. It wasn't planned. We just had no idea what we were doing at the time. So looking back, it all seemed so nice. But really, when we were inside, it was more of a chaos, and we were just trying to keep our heads afloat. <laughs> Interesting.
2: So um, you mentioned that you didn't actually raise any venture money. Did you want to raise venture money or just didn't have, there was just no available capital? How was this decision? Was this a conscious one or was it more of like a, a circumstantial one?
1: Uh, we didn't raise a big amount of money. We did have an angel investor who we engage with not for the money he put in. It was more of he had a much more business and operational expertise. Uh, which we felt we could use a lot. And yes, we did try to raise money. We did also get uh, multiple times the term sheets. One of them was in Hungary, where at the time we had these European Jeremy funds, where typically VCs requested 70% of the company, which even at the time we said it's, it's giving up complete control. So we'd, we'd rather try for ourselves than go into those deals. We also had a few opportunities from the US market. We've been in Silicon Valley multiple times and and trying to raise money. We weren't, I'd say, courageous enough to take those money because all of these money were the typical Silicon Valley model where you double or nothing. Essentially, they give you, let's say, 500k and you have to spend it in a year. Uh, There's no way you're going slower. So it's really about, uh, can you make it to the next round or can you not? And we didn't feel at that point we are too much invested in the team and we saw the opportunities then to take that money. So at the end, we ended up not raising money, any significant amount. And we continue to fund our operations from our external partners who over time significantly raised uh, our revenue streams. Interesting.
2: Well, how did you think this uh whole situation in in Hungary changed regarding the fundraising aspect. I mean, uh, now you have a bit more of an oversight comparing to the previous years.
1: Yeah, so when we were looking at it was 2011, 2012. In the last five, seven years, I think the ecosystem just changed completely, drastically. Uh, There, like, funds are no longer requesting 70% of... uh, of your revenue, there is, I think, a relatively small, good amount of smart money in the market. There are people who saw investment before. So the ecosystem is growing up rapidly, and I think the situation now is vastly different. Again, at the time we were trying to raise Hungary, it was the first VCs who were really investment bankers, and I don't think uh, there was a proper education at the time of what a startup is and how do you value them and what happens when you take 70% of founders. Uh, so, I think it changed definitely for the positive. Obviously, when you look at ecosystems such as Western Europe and Berlin, London or Silicon Valley, we are far from that. But I think it's a very positive trajectory and it's very reasonable now for an entrepreneur to raise money in Hungary and, and I don't see any negatives in doing that.
2: That's great to hear. I agree with you that you know there has been a lot of education in the market. There is another generation that is now taking sort of over some of these roles. So, uh, it's actually good to see that founders see this as well. You mentioned- You know you had three bigger clients and then all that happened. We already know that Skyscanner acquired you guys Why did Skyscanner acquire you and how did this sort of acquisition started to shape?
1: We started working with Skyscanner in 2011. I think at the time there were 70 people. By 2014 when they acquired us they were 400. I think One of the things that struck us with Skyscanner and influenced us a lot is the way they treated people and partners. So when we've been working with Skyscanner, we never felt as an external party who they are shielding. Uh, any information, but we were actually part of the team, the respect they had for colleagues, the way they've been building business on honesty, it was all a huge positive. And the more we worked together, the closer this relationship uh, started to be. At the time Skyscanner provided us us with an offer, we already had other offers from uh, uh, during the time from other very large, well-respected tech companies. All of the times, we felt that this is just a body-shopping exercise in the way that it's hard for them to hire 20 engineers, so they're just going to actually hire 20 engineers. But it's just a head counting rather than a strategical decision. What was really different with Skyscanner, I think, is they hired us for the strategic role of leading their mobile organization and us being the basis of their app engineering and product developments which for us seemed a huge opportunity at the time. I mean, Sequoia, Mike Moritz from Sequoia just invested in Skyscanner in the largest investment of Sequoia ever, close to a billion dollar valuation. So it was clearly one of the top companies in Europe. And us having the opportunity then to learn from them was something that was uh, very, very interesting for us. And then obviously, uh, you have the standard rounds of due diligence, negotiations. But over it was pretty smooth because we had the trust built out with the previous three years with the founders on both sides. I'd say the decision was made quite fast after we managed to figure out what's the best way for this to go forward.
2: Okay, so it was not a typical sort of painful process of involving investment bankers and uh, sort of haggling back and forth. You had
1: everything. It was... Everybody wanted the deal to happen. We had the terms. So it was more of the standard legal and due diligence procedures, which are always painful. I mean, at the end, I think we had like a 600-page legal documentation. We had to compile, read, understand. So a good two months of my time has been understanding legal phrases and reading legal documentation, which wasn't my specialty. And it wasn't desirable, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it uh, it was fairly standard. At this size of a deal, one would expect that all of these things need to be done interesting So you've been acquired but
2: you still you know spent some, quite some time at Skyscanner basically working as head of product and then being a senior product designer. How was this experience? Like, you went from basically being a leader, sort of a CEO of a company, to being sort of an employee again. Was it like a humbling experience, or how
1: was it? It was very interesting. Skyscanner had a really good, experienced team who've both been acquired multiple times, been through acquisitions. So they've been very mindful about the whole acquisition thing and how to integrate us. So I'd say the integration was very smooth and delicate and at the same time we've been kept with a lot of our privileges and responsibilities as we had before so it wasn't really a, a change from one day to another it was a transition over 2 years i'd say the more challenging times were later on once uh, our responsibilities increased from the Budapest team to other teams globally. Responsibilities increased from just the app to other parts of the business. And that was what most managers at high-growth companies' experience. Everybody warned us that, you know, an acquisition and integration is very challenging, very hard. And it is indeed, I'd say, emotionally, it's quite challenging. But I think we would had big luck of people understanding on both sides that this will be painful and we have to do everything to minimize the pain. And I was shocked. So I remember when we said to Skyscanner that, hey, we need to throw out your app. We need to redo it from scratch. We're going to redesign it. We're going to redo everything. It's already at 50 million users and generating a significant amount of revenue, but don't worry. And they said, "Okay, go forward, do it. And we always had looking, when are these guys going to come in and say to us, you have to do it this way, you can't do that. And it just didn't happen. So I was often thinking if I were on the other side, would I have the patience and trust in like, you know, a young team of you know, essentially rebuilding without zero understanding of the domain, uh, the whole product that uh, we find extremely strategic? So I think just this culture we, we've experienced as SkyScreen before working with them and then working as part of the team is very high on trust and a model where they value entrepreneurial thinking a lot. And this made it a lot more challenging on upskilling ourselves to be able to perform the tasks rather than, you know, really in office politics or thinking about, am I an employee or am I a founder? I didn't feel significant differences in those roles going forward. That's great, that's great. How was it for the other
2: parts of the team? I mean, you were the top dog there. <laughs> but so you had like 30 other people kind
1: of going with you. Does anyone still work there or like how does it work? Yes, I think like 70% of the original team still worked there. I think you could separate two lines very strongly of who enjoyed it and who struggled. There are a type of people who value the stability and the opportunity of working on something bigger, despite the constraints that it brings of having to do more collaboration, having to plan stronger, having to adjust with teams. And some people are just, you know, the go-getters. They want to go. They want to build it. They want to instantly do it. And go-getters had a really hard time because obviously when you're at 400 and then later a thousand person organization, it's just you need to get out the best result of the whole organization than just yourself or your small environment. And I think that's a big shift in thinking. And some of people didn't want to do that. I mean, it's completely fair. If, if you like small, more dynamic teams better, that's perfect. But actually, most of the people really enjoyed it and still enjoy it in the terms of the support, the problems they see. I mean, Skyscanner now, I think, probably has more than 80 to 100 monthly multi-active users. So technology challenges are there at scale. Problems are there at scale. And what Skyscanner managed to do very well, I think, compared to other companies, is that it's European by roots. They've been founded in Edinburgh, which I think is quite similar in some ways to Budapest, very small talent pool. Uh, you know, lack of investing, it's just not a big technology hub. And because of this, they were very empathetic about how they set up their business and how they run their business. Uh, And I think this European mentality means a lot when you work with Europeans. I mean, we try to avoid having headquarters. You naturally have gravity in some locations, but we had, when I left 10 offices worldwide and for, I think, a 1,000-person company, that is a lot. And each of those offices was strategic importance in some level. Like in most companies, you see that you know if they open a, an office in Eastern Europe that's for support engineering or anything like else. In Skyscreen, kind of every office had its critical role inside of the business, and they understood that. So I think approaching this as we have diversity in Europe, and and in Europe people don't want to move from one city to another city like they do in the US, and making sure that we can incorporate this diversity inside of our culture was the big change uh, from what I've seen in other businesses where they try to run the whole company as one entity, and you cannot divert from that. Uh, and I think this European route is what made SkyScanner very different. Obviously, it grew slower than its counterparts. I think it took 14, 15 years for its exit. Compared that to U.S. companies, this is much slower, but it was also a much more European way of doing things.
2: That sounds very much in line with our reasoning of cultural proximity. Uh, yeah. We like to believe that you know, whenever we make investments, we like to feel this cultural proximity because when things get tough, it's just a much better feeling to have basically someone who understands what you mean and you don't have
1: to sort of circumvent them. Yes, and and understanding I think is important because if you understand the problem you can come up with solutions but if one of the parties just doesn't get it then sometimes these culture differences can be extremely big where it becomes counterintuitive. So I agree with Cultural proximity is something that we still need to have in order to be efficient.
2: Agreed. So let's talk a bit about Hungary and Budapest. Uh, you know, As you mentioned, it's not a huge technology hub, but still we see more companies sort of make it uh, from here. What do you think your success was? You started out pretty small, but you managed to grow pretty big. And then eventually having an exit. Uh, what's your sort of secret sauce, or what's your advice that you would give fellow entrepreneurs that are starting out right now?
1: So I think one of our s- success factors was that we put our bets on technology area in that case, mobile engineering, which was pretty new. And you didn't have other countries, other hubs having, you know, advantages you couldn't have at the time. You know, the internet was already there; information was flowing freely from Twitter to blogs and everywhere. And you could indeed produce this same level of quality from almost anywhere in the world. And and going back to that, I always focused insanely on quality and quality of execution. So obviously in Hungary, you won't be able to match the talent uh, you can in San Francisco or other parts of the world. When you're looking at a global market, of which a big chunk is US and a big chunk is Western Europe and a big chunk is China, from Hungary, you just will not have a better understanding of the market from any of your competitors in these regions. Where you can beat them, however, is execution. And you need to understand, I think, what makes you unique from your competition. You need to understand your geographic boundaries. Uh, In our case, at the time, I guess, Being cheaper in Budapest was also a competitive advantage, but I see that massively disappearing now because an engineer in Budapest is not significantly cheaper than um, other parts in Western Europe. So I think being maniac on your efficiency and your execution is, is a must in order to be able to succeed from a region like Hungary, because you don't have really any other unfair advantages at your side.
2: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think, you know, compared to, let's say, stricter in the region? I don't know if you have any oversight or have met other people from surrounding countries. Do you think that we have more of an advantage or more of a disadvantage? Because this entire region is just looked at as Eastern Europe or Central Eastern Europe. Do you think that Hungary has anything that makes it different or not, really?
1: Well, I'm, I'm not sure I don't have extensive understanding of other countries in the region. I did talk to some startups and I did talk to some founders. I know, for instance, that Poland is, we often call it in our region, but it's a completely different league, partially because they have a a market internally which is large enough to house their ideas and to be able to develop. I think Hungary is... Might be probably similar to Slovakia and Czech Republic in the sense that our market is very, very small. So if you only try to sell something domestically, you have a very, very early cap on your growth. And also, Hungary is very different in regulations and I think customer behavior than a lot of Western Europe. So I don't think there is anything particularly that makes us strong in this region, except from the fact that we must go global from day one. But at the same time, we don't really have an understanding of global behaviors from the market we are in, because it's significantly skewed to a small percentage of people and different behaviors as of regulations and available tools than you can find anywhere Else, I still think people in Hungary can be hungry, and being hungry is a good thing. What I see now though, that again this is evaporating as engineers now have plenty of places to choose from, multinational companies, good salary, you know, good work environment, which can make them overly comfortable in the position they are. But if we can keep that hunger uh, and, I, and I mostly see this hunger in people in their 20s, where they really want to do something and they really want to get where they are. I think that could be something that, breaking out from this ecosystem, you know, succeeding despite your disadvantage compared to your competitors, uh, maybe in US or other countries, could be, and I see that in some companies, of being a unique advantage of, of almost turning your disadvantage to your advantage sounds good you know
2: you you made this exit you you actually now uh, as I understand taking a bit of a break but in the meantime, you're also in the process of uh, sort of having and compiling your raising your own fund. Can you tell us a bit about uh, Angel experience or, or the reason why you're doing
1: this mm-hmm. and uh, how this process is going? The whole idea of me doing something, if I were ever successful, of helping the ecosystem, I think, formed in 2012 when I was in the U.S. And I tried to reach out to some Hungarian founders at the time who were in the U.S. And I just couldn't reach them. They said they don't have even 15 minutes to you know, talk to me. At the same time, I think this was a month after Instagram was acquired, the CFO of Instagram had 30 minutes to sit down with a guy from (laughs) And this just showcased me a few. There's a huge difference in terms of mentality of 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 people in Silicon Valley actually you know if you get an intro no matter where you come from they do give 30 minutes of their time and if possible they try to help you we couldn't say the same thing from you know people with the same country and I did feel a lack of people to turn to during our whole journey and distinction I mean even when you go to an acquisition discussion a strategical discussion you're just completely clueless and when you do this on the first time you don't even know what to do and having somebody who can you know just give you hints or say this is normal or not can make a huge difference both in the outcome, and both in your confidence level. So at that point, I decided if, you know, anything happens, I'll try to support, uh, you know, as much as I can the ecosystem in my own way. And after Skyscanner, I started looking around of what is the best way to do that. So we talked to a lot of startups. Uh, It was pretty clear that, you know, there's enough funding, and we won't compete with these funds in terms of size of investments and things like that. However, what is missing is they do have questions. May that be product, may that be technology, may that be hiring, may that be operations. I mean, building a company has so many aspects. And they do not have a network. They can discuss that and, and someone who can guide them. So, what we identified is both our experience as building a company in Hungary with distinction and both our experience of working in a global unicorn, a skyscanner, are extremely valuable to share with people. And obviously, you know, saying something is very easy. But then at the same time, you know, if you put your money where your mouth is, it's much more authentic and you have the same interest. So we use our investments more as to align interest. But our goal is to work with a, a few companies where we believe we can help them significantly in the terms of not help them succeed, but help them not fail for the reasons we've seen many fail. And hopefully that can add value, and hopefully it can help them to push them to the next stage, and eventually results in a select number of companies in Hungary and Budapest where you can actually find quality work, and you don't have to go to Amsterdam or Berlin or London after a given level of seniority to continue your career. That's a very noble cause, I think. It's noble and selfish, so it's interesting because when I was thinking of you know what to do next, obviously, uh, you know one of the options is to go and work for someone. And, and in reality, if I want to use my skill set to its full potential or my experience, uh, I don't really have companies in Hungary that can do that. Uh, and hopefully, if you know there are companies raising uh, from these activities, not just ours, but there are many people who are doing similar things to what we do now, thankfully, uh, there will be companies. And a good example is one of my co-founder, uh, my ex-co-founder, Akos. He just joined Shaper, one of our investments, as VP of engineering, because they are now Going to a phase where they want to expand significantly, both in hiring, technology maturity, and he did feel that he can make a significant impact uh, with his experience in helping them. So that's already a good example of, of in some ways, this you know noble or selfish goal is mixing. Hopefully, it's a benefit for everybody.
2: That's very interesting. Do you already have sort of a strategy on your kind of potential investments coming up, or is it something that you like uh, shape as you go, or you or you
1: or you already have something in mind? So as we're angel. Investors, so we're not a fund. We're angel investors, and we at this point, it's most what most angel investors do. We invest in the town and we invest in the team. And what we're looking at is pretty much what I articulated earlier is do we see this team can execute? Are they super dedicated? Are they really hungry? And if these are in place and they have the abilities, we are fairly confident that with guidance and other help they will be able to succeed. The market opportunities are ever-growing, and I think execution, as I said, is getting more and more important. We typically focus in technology-first companies, so we don't really go in marketplaces such because, again, we don't feel that from Hungary you can have the unique insight. But we definitely agree that from Hungary, if you have the right technology, uh, you can build a superior product and win against your competitors. So if I'd like to sum up, we're focusing on technology heavy teams, which are very hungry, dedicated, and from what we see, are building the capabilities of world-class execution and are willing to do so. Uh, and naturally, we're also looking at you know how we can help. If it's a biotech startup, probably won't be involved because we don't know anything about biotech. So the closer it is to mobile is usually the easier for us to provide any insights. Okay.
2: Sounds very interesting. Uh, and I guess that you're going to be more on the active side, right? So you're planning to spend
1: significant amount of time to sort of coach these people. Um, it depends on... So we are definitely coming in to help but every company I think depending on their stage uh, their cycle needs that help differently so in some cases yes it's very active coaching with the CEOs Uh, in some cases it's just sitting in with product teams and you know talking to product decision frameworks and doing such in some cases, you know, for three months, we don't even meet because they are focusing on growth and I have less experience in growth than some of the other advisors. So I'd say my approach is I'm there to help whenever I need it, but it's not like, you know, a regular, strict, regular cadence of, you know, this and this and we're doing this coaching. We're trying to be very much of how can we help, but you let us know if we can help rather than us injecting in your conversation of saying, hey, I do think I can help here and, and you should listen to me because I know so much better. (laughs) Because companies tend to be very, very smart, and founders tend to be very, very smart. Uh, And I think there are a few critical points where reassurance or external input is, it can move a big push forward. But in most of the cases, fairly inactive, if you'd like to say.
2: That makes a lot of sense. It's very similar to our approach. So it's basically, you know, helping whenever you're needed, but not, uh, you know, sort of nagging the founders and trying to push yourself onto them. Not trying to prove that you're the smartest in the room. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Thank you very much for joining us on
1: this podcast. Thank you very much.
0: The foundations of great tech talent in Central Eastern Europe gave birth to balanced success with Team Distinction. People like him are crucial for the success of an upcoming ecosystem, since they give back and reinvest to the next generation of startups. I hope you like the way Martin hosts episodes. In the next episode, we'll have Roland from IND Group, the financial technology company that again started in Hungary, grew fast in Europe, and got acquired by Mysis. We will try to host this episode together with Martin. I hope it goes well. Here's a snapshot of all the activities we do here at Gloco. Apart from publishing a new podcast episode every Monday, we also publish video summaries on Saturdays. These short 5-10 to minute videos are published across all of our social media channels. I also write brief weekly articles with core insights from every episode. Lastly, we do Tuesday Tips, where we gather advice from very influential people and share it on our social media. To get all that into your email inbox every week, please go to our website, theglocal.co and subscribe to our email newsletter. We are very active on social media, so I beg you to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Ciao.